Hello and welcome to 110 Yards. I'm Coach Aaron Page, a Canadian coaching American football in Denmark. Today I'm with Frank Christensen. Uh, he's a referee with um, DAF and IFAF, uh, also known as Dahmer, right, in, in Danish. How are you doing today, Frank? Well done. Yes, hi, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Yes, uh, so... Uh, first of all, I guess we'll start out with why you became a referee for American football. It's it's a niche sport in Denmark uh, and Europe as in general. So what what sort of attracted you to that aspect of the game? Yeah, so well, I, I started after I was an exchange student in Kansas of all places. So when I came back, uh, I was in love with the game. So yeah, I, I helped start a, a team, start a club. Uh, and at that point, I think that's still the case. Uh, each club has to supply officials to to make the tournament go around. Um, so, you know, I was one of the leaders in, in the club, so I also became the, uh, the referee. So it, it was really out of necessity at first uh, that I became an official. Okay, so, um, and when you started the club, how long ago was that? And where, where's that club at, at today? Now you're going to make me feel very, very <laughs> old. This was back in 1991. Okay. I started a club in, uh, in Fredericia, which is uh, it's about uh, two hours east of Copenhagen. Uh, I don't think there is a club in, in that uh, town at the moment. Uh, certainly the one that I helped uh, build uh, no longer exists, unfortunately. Okay. I mean, you know, and that's that's the nature of Europe sometimes, I think. But you know, clubs come, come up and come down, but so, but the refereeing really, really grabbed hold of you because now you're, you're part of the, the, the DAF uh, core group of referees and you're involved with IFAF. We'll, we'll get, we'll touch on what IFAF is a, a little bit later, but um, when, being part of that, how do you guys, uh, you know, get better professional development wise as the, as the Danish uh, American Football Association referees? So, you know, we, we practice almost like, like you guys, like coaches and players practice, not as much uh, physically on the field, but, you know, the entire off season, we're, we're busy um, doing uh, rules, tests, rules, questions. Uh, we get together on Zoom, look at video, uh, look at training tapes of, of different situations and talk about how how it was handled on the field and you know in that game and how we should handle it. Uh, so we talk about all kinds of aspects, uh, not just the rules, but also what we call mechanics, which is you know where to stand and where to look, uh, so that we we can officiate the, the play correctly. And we also talk about what we call philosophy, um, what you might call football IQ. So in a given situation, you know, how are we going to handle this situation? Uh, is there a difference between 0, zero and, and 0 to 50 uh, in, in the way we're going to handle the situation? Um, so we, you know, for me, it's, it's an all year round uh, application. Uh, you know, I can't think of the last time I had an entire day where I didn't do something about football. Because you know, officials love the game just like players and coaches, and, and we just can't we can't help it. 
Yeah, I, I always found that impressive because I find, and I'm sure uh, maybe you as well, when I'm watching, you know, NFL on Sunday or college, there's always these situations that pop up where it's like, this is a weird like circumstance where I don't know what the, what the rule is on this or, uh, you know, so I'm always impressed by the referees, like always basically having the answer. And, and you guys, you know, obviously you mentioned that you as part of another team sort of on the field, you guys are, are consider yourself training like we, and you rely on each other. Cause maybe, you know, it's not easy to remember all the rules. And I know as a coach, it's hard to keep track. So you have guys that sort of maybe specialize or have a more avid memory of, of certain aspects of the game that you can call upon uh, with your crew uh, with respect to during a game. Um, it's not like we specialize, you know, different people have different areas of, of, of expertise, obviously, you know, just like anybody else. Uh, some people are better at the, at the theory than, than others. Um, but you know, it's, it's funny you should mention that uh, because when I'm when I'm the, the head ref, the referee, you know, I, I try to motivate the guys by saying there there are five plays in this game that are going to either you know define the game or, or the game is going to define you. So be ready for those five plays uh, just to to keep everybody on their toes. But you know, the the, the plays you mentioned there in, in the NFL or college. You know, each season also has five plays that are unique. And, and you can even take it a step further and say, in my career, there are probably five plays that, you know, stand out as being crazy or being very, very unusual. And, and a, a lot of the rules quizzes that we do, you know, describe some kind of a game situation, first and 10 on the, on the 20 yard line, and then this and this and this happens. And then the guy fumbles and then this happens and then the, the other guy fumbles and then they run back and then there's a score and after the play this happens you know and you, and you kind of think this is never going to happen in a game i mean there's <laughs> just no way until it does yeah and i know uh, you know once in a season or once in a lifetime and the satisfaction of, of being able to handle that situation correctly is just incredible i mean that's that's part of what motivates us yeah. And, and that's what I find so amazing because there's, you know, and with the, with the professional level, you always seem to get, you know, two or three of those gray area, weird scenarios a, a weekend and maybe not so much over here, but like you said, there's always five plays that sort of make or break a game. And, and I can attest to that having coached, you know, in, in, in multiple games where there's always something. And, and so that kind of brings me, uh, I'm going to come back a little bit. Uh, but I'm going to, we're going to get back to this point here. So when you started the club uh, back in 91, did you play at all with that club? Um, yes, I was, uh, I, I played quarterback and receiver. Uh, in, I started in, in Florida and then uh, played there for a number of years. And then I moved on to the uh, almost Tigers uh, where I played receiver for one year. Uh, and, and during that period, I was both a player and an official. You know, so we would uh, we would play a game on, on Saturday and then we'd go uh, officiate a game on, on Sunday or, or the other round. Um, but, you know, I, I quickly realized that, that obviously my body wouldn't be able to handle being a player for, for uh, forever. But, but being an official, you know, you still have to be in shape, but it's not as, as taxing on your body, obviously, as, as it is to be a player. So I, I realized that I would be able to, to continue with that, that aspect 
you know, until yeah, I'm, I'm almost 50 now and, and I have no plans of, of slowing down. That's, so it's yeah. just a, you know, it's just a way of, of staying close to the game if you don't want to be a coach. Yeah. And I, 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 that brings me to my next question is, do you think uh, ref, so there, cause there's some instances where a guy is maybe a little older and wants to get involved with the game and, and starts refing or, um, but, but ha has never played. Do you think that affects uh, their ability to be a ref and in the, maybe not in a sense in their, in their competence, but just understanding of what certain players are trying to do or why, you know, it could affect the way they see a call when uh, they've never played against a defensive end or understand what, like the little nuances within the game from having actually played it. Uh, it, it could, it, it certainly could slow down the development a little bit because you, you've never been on the field and you've never had that, that experience. Uh, so it's, it's certainly a plus if you've been a player, you know, and, and uh, it's not a necessity. I mean, I, I know some officials who've never played who are top-notch officials. Uh, so it is possible to uh, to, to learn, and, uh, but but certainly it is an, it is an advantage to play the game. And you know, if, if uh, anytime we get ex-players who become officials, you know, if, if you were a linebacker or or an old lineman, you know, it'd be obvious to try them out as umpires initially, since just because they know what's going on. And, in, in the trenches. And, and if you're a receiver or, or a safety, you know, try to be a deep official because you know what receivers are trying to do to, to cornerbacks and, and the other way around. Uh, so that, you know, you can use that knowledge to, to start out with. And then typically what we, what we try to do is, is get everybody to try all the, the different positions as an official, just to see what they, what they prefer. Because once they, you know, there's, there's so much difference between being a referee or, or being an umpire or being a back judge. And, and it, it, it takes different tempers or, or different uh, skill sets, uh, depending on what position you are in the field. Just like if you're a player, uh, you know, and, and, and it's, it's very important that you work a position that you really, really like, because then it becomes more fun and you become better at it. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with that because, you know, uh, just like coaches, uh, you know, that coach in the upper echelons, they may have not played in the NFL or, you know, even played college for that matter. So I don't see it as a huge barrier, like you said, but it can definitely slow down the, the progress, whether you're coaching or refereeing. And, um, I, you know, I you did a great documentary sort of interview with uh, First Down Photo that, that I really got a great insight as to uh, sort of prep me for this interview. I thought it was amazing. Uh, it's in, it's in Danish, but there is closed captioning and I'm, I'm going to post the link for that as well in this, but uh, so we, you know, back to uh, in game and what, what affects those, you know, those five plays um, other things that I find affect refs uh, could be, you know, fan reaction to certain calls or even coaches reactions or players on the field and you know being human beings that that does sort of sprinkle its way in or it can um you know so how do you guys build up that tolerance to be able to you know manage a game and not uh, let emotions you know take hold because i know that as players you know that can happen with our opponents and sometimes referees get uh get unnecessary 
um, criticism uh, because coaches and players don't understand uh, exactly what they're doing or what they're responsible for. There are two aspects of it, really. Uh, One is during the play and one is between the plays. During the plays, I remember once seeing an interview with Michael Urban, I think it was, where he was talking about how when the ball is, is coming to him, nothing else exists. And then when he catches the ball and plays over, uh, you know, I still get goosebumps because he, he said, now, you know, the fans come back. Now he can hear everything. Now, he, you know, he, he notices the, you know, the players, the teammates and, and the fans cheering. It's pretty much the same for us. During the play, we were so focused in on, on you know, our uh, responsibilities and our keys and our players that, you know, it could be, you know, the play really doesn't matter. We don't really see the game. We don't see the game as, as an exciting game. You know, if, if I'm the referee, I see my quarterback, uh, maybe a running back. You know, if, uh, let's say it's a passing play. I see the quarterback in the pocket. I may see a running back if he's in pass pro. And I'll see my tackle if, if he's my key. Once he throws the ball, it's gone. I don't see it anymore. I don't know what happens down the field. So I don't get involved in the, you know, in, in, the, in the craziness the same way. Between the place, you know, you do get to feel and you have to be able to feel, you know, the, the, the mood of the game, the intensity to be able to handle players and talk to players and coaches. Um, but, you know, for us, we t- take great pride in being calm when everybody around us are going crazy. Uh, it helps us a little bit, and, and this is probably one of the things that, that's difficult for you to understand as, as a coach, but we have, we have no interest in who wins the game. We do not care. Uh, so, you know, being, being all hyped up about, you know, this team driving down the field to potentially score and win the game, to us, it's just a drive in a close game. Whether they score or not, it, it doesn't make any difference to us. Uh, whoever wins, wins. We're going to have a good game and a close game, whoever wins. Uh, so, so that part of it, um, you know, we, we, try to, we, we try to sympathize with the players and the coaches just to, 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 to try to, to know what they're going through and know why they're reacting the way they are. Um, but it is a completely different game we watch. Even when I watch games on TV, yeah. I don't care who wins. And, and that's not why I watch the game. You know, sometimes in the off season, we'll get together uh, a bunch of officials and watch a game and we will be watching the same stuff that we would during the game. So we'll be watching that. Oh, that was a holding. Yes, that was a holding. <laughs> you know, after the play, you see, oh, there's a flag and then the referee comes on. Uh, we don't see, we don't see the running back and oh, now he made it beyond hundred yards rushing that kind of stuff yeah we're, we're looking at our stuff and, and that probably helps us keep our calm during the game yeah because and i you know i'm the same way when i watch most most of the teams like i got my favorite team but in general when i'm watching i i don't care and i'm watching it like a coach if i see great technique i'm like dang look at that you know so i can i can i can relate to you on that regard um 
but that for the officials. Yeah. <laughs> good movement by that official. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, ooh, that guy's got a good good uh, speed up the sideline there. But yeah. uh, you know, and that that brings me too to like. I, I took a look at the, the rule book, you know, and I, and there's great like case studies in there. We, you know, we talked about how there's different scenarios and stuff, but also that I saw, I had another book here available to me. It was the uh, officials, IFAF officials guide. So I was flipping through that and it was showing me, you know, when there's five officials where they're supposed to be and what responsibilities they have, which was something I didn't really uh, know a whole lot about prior to looking at that. And I, and that made me think that there's sometimes a disconnect with coaches, you know, when they're, they're yelling at the closest guy, which is usually the linesman on their sideline about things that, that he has no, no sight picture of, or no responsibility for. And so what, what do you think coaches sort of miss or misunderstand when it comes to dealing with officials, you know, game to game? It's it's an interesting point you bring up because the officials on the sideline are the primary communicators with that coach. So whoever was responsible for that, that call or, or no call, you know, I mean, you as a coach can't talk to the umpire right away or even the guys on the other sideline. So your only option is to talk to, to the guy on your sideline. Um, but you're right. Sometimes, you know, you, you say, why didn't you call that? Well, it was, you know, clear across the field and I was looking somewhere else and and players do the same you know I, I'll, I'll be looking at the at the quarterback even after he throws the ball because you know he could still get roughed and then he'll complain to me that I didn't call the pass interference 50 yards down the field yeah so you know, it still happens um, back in the day it was it was more difficult for us to communicate across the field now that we have uh, radios it's it's a little bit easier uh, and, and, and we're working on, you know, let's say something happens on one sideline and, and the, the calling official decides that's not enough for a passing interference. You know, the, the good ones now go on the radio and say, uh, this was not pass interference because whatever it was. So that the guy on the other sideline uh, who was now responsible for talking to the coach already knows what was going on over there. So that when you come up and ask him, why wasn't that uh, pass interference? He can say, well, the guy over there that made the call says, uh, you know, the ball arrived before the contact happened, or, you know, whatever it was. So we do try to compensate a little bit and, and, and help each other out uh, because, you know, we really want to get all that communication out to the coach before he needs to ask for it. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a big part of what we want to achieve during a game is, is communication with the coaches. Sometimes we don't have time because the game is, is, is going fast. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it, it should never be um, a situation where we don't want to talk to a coach. Sometimes we prefer to talk to the head coach because assistant coaches tend to be a little bit more livid. Uh, sometimes where the, the head coaches are usually a little bit more uh, you know, calm and, and distanced uh, from from the from the game because they have to have that uh, that, that cool and, and collected you know overview of, of the game and the situation. Um, plus, you know, having ten assistant coaches in your ear can be a little distracting. But but one head coach is is is, is usually you know that's that's 
doable. Yes. I think another thing that that's um, typically is is you know I, I I often get the question from coaches, can't you just tell me what's what's legal and what's illegal, you know, so that I can tell my players you can do this and you can't do that, um, in 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 kind of a black and white version. And and the thing is, I can't think of a call on the field right off the top of my head that's black and white. We live in a gray in a gray area. This is true. Everything is is gray zone. You know whether it's uh, you know some of the things that uh, that is is, is is as black and white as it gets could be a false start. But you can always get down to where it's it's a gray area of was that enough to call or was that not enough and and can we can we deal with that uh, with the top two um, and you know any any time we talk to a player you know watch your hands or move back a little bit it's it's typically a situation where what they did was technically illegal but we're trying to deal with it without slowing the game down you know, without throwing 50 flags a game. Yeah. So, you know, whenever a player or a coach gets upset because we talk to them, really, they should be appreciative. We're yeah, trying to help I agree. And, and you know, in my, my past, like, I've never had a bad run-in with refereeing. I've been more on the – I've been the assistant where I'm a little more emotionally charged. But then when I started taking on head coaching roles, you, you know, the when you said you get a little kind of more zen, as, as I'd like to say, or because you, you have to you have to have that relationship with the with the referees and the, and the officials. And you don't want to, you know, ruin any of the relationship in game, because then maybe they're not going to give you the, the full end. Like, you know, I, you guys typically do a good job most but if if a, if a coach is not being civil or respectful then it's it it's hard to uh you know to to give all that information sometimes um and you know with the kind of moving on with the ifaf stuff that you're involved with how how does that how do you get in, in, into that and what sort of is there extra training you have to do um, to to ref on the international level? Is there like step step by step programs you know within the countries? Yeah, the first thing you have to do is, is you have to become you know one of the best officials in your country, so that your own national federation uh, recommends you, or your 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 national officiating committee or or federation, whatever the case may be. Uh, recommends you for for an IFAP clinic, and then and typically, you know, the officials get together for for an annual clinic, and then each country has a uh, what we call a country contact, which is really the uh, the, the person in charge of, of um, deciding which officials are eligible for international assignments. So once you get to that level, you have an opportunity to be assigned to either, uh, you know, national team games, uh, single games, or, or or club team games, or one of the uh, you know the European Championship tournaments, or, or even the World Cup. And that's in your own country. 
but with so within that like within that process and and the training you guys do in the video breakdowns do you do some guys you know because because you're you're not trying to slow any of the games down and you're trying to make the right calls and and fix the little technicalities that you know could be illegal you know do you get guys you know wanting to kind of show that they're look look i called a a piling on you know for example like you know i saw that and and it's you know it's human nature you know they want to show that they're that they're paying attention and they're doing their job right but maybe getting a little overzealous with the with the yellow flags and and do, do you have to kind of reel them back as a mentor to the younger guys coming up and say look you're you're a great ref but you have to you know we don't want to we don't want to throw flags the whole game we want to keep it you know more of a high paced game and you're going to get your shot if you continue to you know perform under the right circumstances yeah and, and that's exactly what happens i think it's a, it's just a, a normal part of, of developing a skill is that uh, you know initially you're you're scared to to even even be out there you know you don't want to you don't want to blow your whistle you don't want to throw your flag um and then once you get you know you get used to being out there you start seeing the game, it's, it starts to slow down. All of a sudden you see all these things that are illegal and you got to call it, there's a holding, there's a false start, there's an illegal formation, there's a, you know, clipping or tripping or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, sometimes we, we get officials who read a rule in the pregame and then lo and behold, they call that three times during the game because they just read that rule. Uh, you know, and then the next step in, in that development is to say, well, have you ever seen anybody in, in the pros or in college or, or even our national league call that? And then they say, well, no, but it was right there. Yeah. Uh, but there are other ways to deal with that. You know, so they go from not calling everything or not calling anything to calling everything to when we apply the philosophy is, is to, to realize when do we need to, to call it and when can we deal with it in other ways? You know, you become more surgical in your in your application of the rules. Yeah, and yeah, and I think uh, from my experience, seeing refs develop just in Canada or over time, you know, through the high school season, you see that you see the guy, you know, going like like you said, not calling anything, then calling everything, and then kind of they find that middle ground. Um, mm -hmm. Now, are there some games where? Uh, you sort of gauge the the two teams and maybe let them play a little bit more. Like, is that, does that what you mean by the philosophy? You, you know, maybe there, it's not illegal. Like you said, it's those gray areas, but you let, you let a little more like back and forth between the DBs and receivers, or maybe that's ref or official dependent, but, and I don't see anything wrong with that as long as it's sort of balanced within, within the scheme and not, you know, over the line either way. But is that, does that happen, you know, depending on game to game, obviously? Um, for the, uh, you know, how much we let the receivers and the quarterbacks uh, battle, hopefully we can use some of the training tapes that we have to, to, to show examples of this is too much and this is not enough and here we can have a talk to and stuff like that. And then you can kind of build, you know, build a library of, 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 of play so that when you see something on the field, you can recognize and that kind of reminds me of the thing I saw in that training tape where the supervisor said that was that was a talk to. Uh, so hopefully, you know, we try to be consistent from game to game. 
uh, not just from play to play and also from official to official. Right. Does that always happen? Absolutely not. But you know, that's, that's what we're striving for is that consistency completely across, um, even across country, if, if, you're, if you're looking at, at the IPAC level. Yes. As, as for the philosophy, uh, obviously, if we have a situation with a, with a running clock where you know, one team is up by 40 points, uh, we don't want to, uh, you know, we'll, we'll let more stuff go. Uh, if it's safety issues, we still call it. We don't mess around with that because, you know, safety of the players is still uh, very, very high on, on our priority. Uh, but if it's a formation, if it's a little hold uh, and, and scores 40 to nothing, you know, we have the saying is if the game wants to die, we need to let it. <laughs> yeah, okay. We don't want to stop the game for, for ticky tacky. Yeah. But a lot of our philosophy really also deals with uh, what we call the when in doubt principles. So one example could be, let's say we have a, we have a, a, a lateral pass that is very, very close to be 90 degrees to the sideline. So we have to make a decision, was this a backward pass or was it a forward pass? If it happens in the backfield, we would typically say it's a forward pass. Because then if it becomes incomplete or if, it, you know, if it's not caught, it's an incomplete dead ball. We don't have to deal with, you know, with you know, a live ball, potentially a, a turnover, all that kind of stuff. Yes. In the backfield, it would typically, when in doubt, it's going to be a forward pass. It's going to be a rule of forward pass. Once the runner goes beyond the line of scrimmage and he does the same type of pass, now our philosophy is it's going to be a backward pass. Because if he does a forward pass beyond the line of scrimmage, it's illegal. Mm-hmm. So if, if we can help it, we want to make it legal in this situation and, and we're going to rule it as, as a backward pass. So those type, we have a, we have a ton of those when in doubt principles um, that we have to, you know, we have to know well enough that we can apply them on the field, you know, in a split second when it happens. Uh, so that's, that's really what we're talking about most of the time when we talk philosophy and, and, and game situations. Yeah. And now, you know, obviously when you're, when you're coming up as a ref and, um, you know, learning and, and getting to where you're at, like there, there probably have been a few mistakes along the way and, you know, and same with me and coaching, you know, we're, we've all been there, but how do you, how do you react to that? Or, or how do you tell the younger guys coming up? Like, you know, if you made a mistake, you know, big one uh, that I'll point out is maybe inadvertent whistle on on a on a fumble or uh, something like that. What what do you say to the the guys coming up, or or what what did you do for yourself to deal with that uh, and and in those situations? That's a really good question. I typically, especially if I'm if I'm the referee, um, I tell the the official. You know, right when it happens or right after, before the next play, I tell them, right now you have an opportunity to show everybody that you can focus on the next play. And that's really a, uh, that's, that's a crucial um, ability to have an official, as an official, to forget the last play and focus on the next one. You know, what we really don't want to see is somebody who screws up and then for the next five minutes or the next 10 plays, they're kicking themselves and, and, you know, then more mistakes happen. 
-hmm. And sometimes you can tell that they're just, you know, kicking the dirt or kicking themselves or, you know, and you, you can just tell they're not in the game anymore. So a really, you know, it's sometimes it's a, it's an opportunity to show that you can bounce back. Yeah. And I, I typically tell them right now is your opportunity. It doesn't come along very often, but right now you have a chance to show that you can focus. And, and then a lot of times that happens. That's true. And that, and that's great advice. You know, it's, it's like, kind of like, it's not what you did. It's what you do next. And, and, and yeah, exactly. And, and then, so the guys that get to go to IFAF and is the dream for some of them to go, you know, eventually to the States and maybe, uh, you know, work their way up there. Uh, has, have, have we had anyone from Europe, you know, go to the NCAA or, or uh, is it kind of tough where they have their own tiered system uh, yeah. in the U S I've been fortunate enough that I've worked a number of uh, junior college games in, in uh, California. Uh, and I've been able to, to, uh, to, to take some people with me, uh, some Danish officials, uh, some from Norway, Poland, uh, Germany, Holland, you know, just to, to get over there and get that experience. Uh, even though it's, it's, the, it's the lowest college level you know, some of those uh, players in, uh, in California, they're pretty good. Uh, uh, if you've seen uh, Last Chance U, uh, I've, I've worked a number of games at Laney College. No way, actually. okay. Um, and, you know, compared to, to most European leagues, uh, even junior college in the US, they're pretty good, especially in, in, in California. There are a lot of players there that, that are D1 players without the grades to go to the D1 school. Um, but you have to, and I was fortunate that I had some contacts that, that were able to, to get me in there uh, where we did, you know, two or three games a, a year uh, on weekend. Um, because otherwise, you know, there's work permits. There's, you know, you have to be in the association, you have to go to the clinic, you have to do all this kind of stuff. And to do that for, for just one weekend or, or even two weekends, um, it's just very, very difficult. So it's, it's not really something that happens. I know some people who go to, go to Texas and work some, some high school games because Texas high school uses NCAA rules, which is obviously very much closer to high, than high school. Um, so that's an opportunity, but again, you still have to, you have to know people, you have to know the right people, you have to be able to, to go there and, and do it. Uh, but if you get a chance, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's very educational and, and you find out, uh, I'm sure it's the same in, in coaching that, you know, officials are the same wherever you go. You really have to be an open, open-minded. You have to be a people person to be able to handle the stress of, of officiating. So when we get together, you know, for games or, or go go to dinner after the game. It's always nice people. It's always a lot of fun to, to get together with them. I have, I have a lot of friends in, in California now because of that, uh, even nice. though it's, it's a number of years since I've, I've worked in the games over there. Um, and so do you guys here do any recruiting as as to get more youth involved with, with officiating? Um, is that something that you'd like to see uh, become more more prominent? Because... I feel like uh, it's sort of most of the time it's like like you said you play you you want to stay involved with the game and and you're you're banged up and then you start refereeing but um, I know there's some younger guys getting involved and is that a trend that you'd like to see continue 
Uh, I mean, we can, we can use all the people who are interested <laughs> and then some. Uh, most officials come in through a club. So either they were players or, you know, they know somebody who played and, and they got interested in the game. We do have a few officials who actually, uh, you know, reached out to somebody in the officiating committee or, or, or somebody they know and then become officials without having a club affiliation. But you know, most people... Uh, start in the club and then they realize, like I did, that, that officiating was a lot of fun and it was something that I could do, you know, beyond my playing years. And, and then once they get to a certain level, they get interested in, in maybe trying out the National League, which is you know, the, the highest Danish level. And then, and then they, they take it from there and then they become uh, what we call club neutral. Um, and, 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 you know, for, for us in, in, the, in the National League group, uh, it, it's it's pretty much a fraternity. Yeah, uh, we'd love to have female officials also, but it's it's a close knit group, and you know we meet for barbecue and we meet for brunch before the games, and you know we meet in the off season and watch uh, college games, and, and we just have a lot of fun together too. But you know that's a good point because there's not a lot of of you guys, you know, in Europe and as a whole, you know, being officials at the at the highest level, it's a very small small group, and you know. I can I relate to that as as guys like me from North America, coaching or playing over here. That it's 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 a very small group. So it's nice to have that that sort of uh, safety net and 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 friend group, uh, knowing and and can relate to everything you do. Um, so before we kind of close this out, there's a there's a last couple of things I want to to talk to you about, and the first thing is. Um, the evolution of RPOs and how that's affected the game, um, you know, with the linemen, you know, climbing and uh, that's probably the biggest gray area area. And as of right now, it's kind of been letting, they've been letting things go, you know, quite a bit at all levels. Um, but I, for me, I don't see it. I don't see it changing. I, I see it maybe getting more allowed because they want higher scores or what have you. But has that affected the way you guys have trained in the last few years and what you're looking at as far as offensive line play? Because it is sort of, you get coaches on the other side saying, hey, they got guys downfield and, they, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we do that a lot. Uh, you know, specifically with ineligibles downfield, uh, you know, it used to be uh, where, it, you know, it, it's, it's typically a broken play where alignment go downfield. Um, a lot of times what happens is, you know, the, the pass goes, the eyes of the coach go with the ball and then the ball gets caught and all of a sudden you realize or you, you notice alignment downfield. Well, that's not really for us, at least that's not the right timing of it, because what we're trying to look at is where is that lineman when the ball is being released? That is specifically what the rule says. Mm -hmm. So from the time the ball is released, to the ball goes down the field and, and is caught, you know, that lineman can move five yards. And then it looks clearly illegal. I yes. mean, he's five, seven yards down the field, but he was only two yards down the field when the ball was released. Uh, and that's something that, that a lot of coaches typically don't realize or don't think about in, you know, in the heat of the moment. Uh, so what we what we try to do with, with ineligibles downfield is, 
is really to look at the timing of the play. Mm -hmm. Because if it, if it happens like a typical RPO is, you know, a long snap to a, to a pistol quarterback, a fake handoff, and a pass. You know, it happens fairly quickly. So that, and, and the reason it happens so, so quickly, and you know this as a coach, is because then the linemen don't have time to go downfield. Exactly. As soon as the quarterback has to pump or has to move a little bit or even has to roll out, now it's a broken play. Now there's a much more, you know, risk or, or opportunity, depending on your point of view, of that lineman being out the field. So what we're trying to identify is that the, the timing of the play, if it's a normal timing, we don't look too much at it because, you know, the linemen don't have time to go down the field. As soon as it gets broken up, and now we start to look at it, and then we have different officials, depending on what happens on the play, who are responsible to look for that. Okay. Yeah. And that, and, and that, that's true because I, I've reacted in a way like, Hey, there he is. But then also running RPOs myself. Yeah. The ball's out within two, two and a half seconds. And so for, you know, that amount of time gives your, your, your lineman the ability to climb with the ball already being gone. Um, and then the last thing was, you know, off the top of your head, is there any sort of weird rules that you that haven't ever been seen by you? And for me, I was looking through the rule book the other day. Uh, so I saw something interesting and I don't know if it can be taken advantage of or not, but basically a punt can be advanced by the kicking team if, if it's caught behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, and that could be by an ineligible, what have you. And I don't see that as really viable in a fake punt scenario, but I thought it was an interesting rule. Uh, but is there any sort of kind of funky, funky rule that you that you don't come across too often or, you know, that maybe there's a loophole there that could be exploited? You know, most of the rules are in the rule book because coaches were trying to find a loophole. So if, <laughs> if, if you if you think the rules are crazy complex, well, it's, it's to, to plug all the holes that the, the coaches are trying to you know, to, uh, to find. Uh, one, one rule that, that I think is, is, is kind of funny, quirky, is, is, the, is the intentional grounding. Um, so let's say you have, a, you have a play where the quarterback grounds the ball and, 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 and the referee throws a flag for intentional grounding. Uh, the rule says that um, it's going to be the passing, you know, it's it's a it's a loss of down at the spot of the foul, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's the sack that you were trying to avoid, right? Um, the rule also says that in in a situation where you have an illegal forward pass, um, the ball belongs to the to the passing team at the spot of the of the pass. Mm. So you could have a you could have a situation if, if it wouldn't make any difference in the game, but I just thought it would be kind of a fun fun thing to do. You know, once in my career is for for a coach to decline the intentional grounding, and the result of the play would be the same as if he accepted the call. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's uh... the pass belongs to the passing team at the spot of the of the pass. Yeah. 
That's for interesting. For whatever reason, uh, beyond that, uh, I've never seen a fumble ruski. You know, outside of the the, the longest yard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've never seen it on the on the field. It would be illegal, uh, but. You know, you, you'd have to go back to the uh, 1980s and, and the Cornhuskers. Yeah, Nebraska. yeah, Nebraska, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See that, uh, but that was probably a coach saying, hey, this is a good play. And, and then they decided, no, that's not a good play. So they, they had to put in a rule. Yeah. Um, also, you know what, actually, right, right before we uh, close this off, uh, the illegal tactics or, or th- that's, that's one that kind of strikes me as also odd a little bit because – you know, when you're going with a hard count, for example, you know, because mm. you're, you're, you're trying to draw like an offside for, you know, you're trying to get them. And, right. and then, you know, th- there's like that, there's a line of illegal tactics. Like if you have a coach saying, Hey, come over here. I need to, I need to, I forgot to tell you something about the play and the guy, the quarterback motions over and everyone's oh. like, Oh, you know, in, in maybe a closed formation and now no one's run out with them. And then you snap the ball and he runs a, a yeah. go route. That would be yeah. more the illegal tactics, but you know, what, where's the difference in some of that stuff? I, you know, yeah. The difference is that as soon as you, for example, use the substitution process uh, as part of your tactic, as, as soon as you're saying to the defense, we're not going to snap the ball now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, come over here. I need to tell you something. Is not part of the, it's not part of the play. Right. That that becomes the the unsportsmanlike. Uh, you know, the Philly special where the quarterback is going around talking to different players, like they're they're putting in a new play and then they snap the ball, is different in the way that everything happens on the field and the sideline is not involved at all. Right. You know, to us, that's. That's that's one of the uh, that that's the line in the sand. Yeah. yeah. You've probably seen uh, the the other situation where, you know, at the end of the game, you're trying to run run out the clock, so you long snap it, and then everybody on the offense holds somebody. Yes. And you can't you can't get down to the uh, to the ball, and the clock runs out. You know that was probably also some uh, some. Uh, ingenious coach that said this is a way for us to, to run off the clock and we can we can win the game where the rule committee you know which is made up of coaches uh decided no that's that's we don't want that in the game that's not a you know that, that's not a good way to finish the game yeah so in that situation we would also use the the unfair tactics rule and say okay everybody is charged with an unfortunate conduct we're going to put time back on the clock <laughs> yeah. yeah because we don't i mean that is not for you know for the housewife or for the for the mom sitting at home that's not a good way to end the game no you know, it objectively. no and it's and it's always interesting when you there are those like you know the the more famous one was belichick and the and the titans or or you know getting the false start on, within five minutes left in the quarter the clock can continue to run. And so, yeah, it's, there's like, like you said, the loopholes are, or the rules are made to stop these loopholes, but people still ultimately find little ways to, to take advantage sometimes. Players and coaches do what they, what they can to win, mm. which is what that's their job. Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, the rules are there to, to make it an even 
playing field, but also to, to keep the game level and keep it fair and keep it interesting. You know, yeah. you know beyond you, know, you want to win this specific game any means possible, we'll take it a step back and be the, be the commissioner. You know, you want to have a, a good product to sell. And, and you know, with, with those types of, of shenanigans or whatever you want to call them, <laughs> you know, that, that's not what people come to see. Yeah, that's true. That's, 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 the, that's the bottom line of it yeah well Frank I want to thank you for coming on this was uh, really insightful and I think a lot of people will be interested in in listening to, you know, to the little bit of a different side of, of the game uh, I know it was great for me and uh, I look forward to you know, seeing you around uh, Denmark at the games and, and uh, so. yeah so thank you very much and uh, thank take you. care